We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we're for the people of Missouri. We're for brewmasters, stockbrokers, beauty queens, and truck drivers. Whatever you do, if you're a Missourian, we're for you. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we've got Missouri covered. Welcome into Breaking the Norm with Les Norman. Glad you're with us today. Thanks for joining us. And it is a great time of year because it is now February, which means spring training is less than two weeks away. And if you live in the Kansas City metro area and where this reaches out, and I'm going to ask our guest today about this, but you've probably heard this, but maybe the one person that just took a long nap and didn't get it, the Royals have extended Bobby Witt Jr. to uh, almost a $300 million contract. If it reaches 14 years, that means he opts to, to not opt out of his contract after year seven. It goes 11 years, and then they exercise the option. It has the potential of reaching $377,777,777. It is not bad for a 23-year-old. It is pretty good at baseball. And my, I, and I'm sure my guests will attest, we were born in the wrong generation where the big league minimum is a little bit different. Break of the Norm brought to you by TruckMovers.com, the nation's leading truck manufacturers and dealers. Continue to trust TruckMovers.com to move their vehicles. One truck, fleet of thousands, used right out of the factory. Doesn't matter. They have the capacity to get it done safely and efficiently. It's the industry-leading technology, the web services that track your vehicles online, so you get the real-time reports, the metrics, keeping you informed. So... For a free quote, call truckmovers.com at 816-861-5444. Nobody moves more trucks. Nobody moves them better than truckmovers.com. So in my, I hope you've enjoyed the string. We had the Royals GM, J.J. Piccolo, and then we had the behavioral science and, and uh, uh, licensed counselor, uh, Melissa Lambert, was with us. And we've got so next week, we're going to have C.J. Nikowski. A former MLB pitcher, and uh, I faced him in the minor leagues, but then he went on to play a long time in the big leagues, and I went and got my cup of coffee and then apparently took a nap and didn't get back. But uh, CJ is going to come on to talk about the Hall of Fame voting and should it be only in the players' hands or should we let the baseball writers do it? Maybe I'll ask my guest today that question. I didn't plan to, but, man, I'd love his take on that. So um, without further ado, it is uh, great to have him in. Um, he was a 30th rounder in 1988 by Texas out of Southeast Oklahoma State University, which, again, is uh, that endears my heart to him. I played against him. He was a leadoff hitter, I believe, for uh, I think it was Boston at the time. Um, he, uh, he played second base, also played third, played outfield for Boston. The Rangers, Colorado, Toronto from 92 to 01. Two of those years, 93, 98, he was injured. Uh, but to battle back from an ACL injury once is incredible. To battle back twice is un unearthly, outerworldly, whatever you want to call it, but he did that. He's a career big league average of 290, which is amazing. He hit 300 four times, and on August 17th of 01, he was the second Blue Jay ever to hit for the cycle. I once did that in a wiffle ball, and I think on uh, the old RBI baseball on Atari. And here's a cool stat for me, a couple cool stats that I like. Um, he only had 279 strikeouts in 2,451 plate appearances. I don't know if he knew that stat or not. It was only 9% of the time, which is amazing. Career fielding percentage of 984, which is fantastic considering he played multiple positions. So let's go ahead and bring him in. I keep, I keep blowing his head up here. Jeff Fry, good to have you in here, man. Thanks for joining us today on Breaking the Norm. I appreciate it, Les, and... Uh... I'm not near as good as you made me sound, man. <laughs> or I wasn't near as good as you as you made me sound. But uh, you know, I I had you know pretty long career. 
a lot longer than I think I was supposed to have, considering where I got drafted. But I'm uh, just thankful for the opportunity I got and uh, enjoyed every second of it. You know, I thought in '97 it was a pretty good year for you. 2000, pretty good year for you. And in '97 it was Alomar Knobloch at second base, and then in 2000 Alomar and Durham, Ray Durham. But I really would have thought that somehow you deserved some kind of contention to make the All Star team those years. You know, the one year that. Uh, I almost made the All Star team. Was nineteen ninety four? Four it was. And okay. That was, I hit three twenty seven that year. I got because of uh, you know missed ninety three with a knee injury. Yeah. So I started the year. I started the year in AAA, and when I got called up, I really did well. And the Yankees came to town. The Buck Showalter was the manager, and we we're we we're taking BP before the game, and he was over by by the tunnel, and he. Um, came up to me and said that he had considered me for the All-Star game, but I didn't have enough play to play oh, Gosh, man, that's oh, that stinks. Well, uh, from where I sit, All-Star worthy, my friend, three different times, All-Star worthy. And, and to hit 290 in, uh, you know, all those seasons in the major leagues, man, that is, that is unbelievable. So a 30th rounder, um, let's go back a little bit. Uh, Tell me how you grew up. Were you were you that baseball guy? Were you a multiple sport guy? Um, did you did you just decide? You know what? I feel like my future's in baseball. I'm going to stay there. Tell us about you growing up. Yeah, when I was a little boy, I mean, I, we played whatever season it was. We were playing that sport. You know, it was tackle football out in the yard, or or touch football in the street, and then during basketball season, we were playing basketball, baseball. It was little league and Babe Ruth, and you just loved sports and. You know, I grew up in a family of athletes, and so it was just all sports. In high school, I played football, basketball, and baseball. And actually, funny story is I actually was going to junior college on a basketball scholarship. Really? And uh, that summer, playing Legion ball, I got over two day period. I got fifteen hits in a row. <laughs> well, and there the, goes that. Yeah, and the local junior college coach, Mark Pollard who actually refereed our high school basketball games. I kind of gave him a little ribbing uh, about a month ago about this, but uh, he asked me if I wanted to come to Carl Albert and play baseball and basketball. And uh, you know, I was already going to Eastern Oklahoma Junior College on a basketball scholarship and was going to walk on on baseball. I decided because a couple of my teammates from Legion were going to Carl Albert that I would go there instead. Wow. Crazy. So uh, point guard, shooting guard, I was a point guard, but I was also the shooting guard. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was at a two A school, and um, you know we only had sixty in my gra- sixty three in my graduating class, so we didn't have a a lot of athletes there. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I shot a lot, and I, I played before the three point line. And you know, my senior year in high school, every game we played, the other team did a box and one on me. And I still average just over 23 points nice. a game. I see you at 5'5", 135 pounds. So saying that, I've heard so much, and I've answered this question from parents so much, and I've mentioned it on social media, especially on Twitter. You're active on Twitter. I'm active on Twitter as well. And I've mentioned this a lot, that there's so many coaches, that, and high school coaches, that expect their athletes to specialize. Well, if you're going to be a baseball player, then you should only play it year-round. But for me, I mean, I wasn't as good in basketball. I could jump, but that's about it. And uh, But was a good football player, wide receiver, kick returner, defensive back. And I know that starting the year, football got my, my strength and my core ready. 
And then basketball got me really good in shape and cut it, made me a better center fielder, you know, get, getting the jumps and back and forth to steal bases. So every sport made me better at all the other sports. And the big thing was, well, you're going to get hurt. If you play, you need to specialize because you need it's so competitive out there and you could risk getting hurt. I mean, I could get hurt falling down the steps. And so what do you think about this whole specialized sports kind of thing? Oh, I'm against it. I'm against it. I mean, I was 5'5", five, five, 135 pounds, and I played both ways in football. And I wasn't fast. <laughs> if I didn't get hurt, <laughs> anybody can survive football because I got run over so much, man. I hated football <laughs> with a passion because I was just the smallest guy. That, you know, the coach expected me to stick my, my helmet between the running back's numbers. Oof. It was 200 pounds. And yeah. I'm like, I'm like I have some common sense here, Coach. If I hit that guy between his numbers, he's going to plow me. Yeah, so the... I would go at his legs, and Coach would yell at me, and that's I just I stuck it out because I wanted to be part, you know, I'm part of the team, and the coaches really wanted me to be there, so I stuck it out, even though I really did not enjoy playing football. Yeah, the physics don't add up at 135 versus 200 hitting somebody between the numbers, and I didn't know. No, in, no. In in college, I returned kicks at 165 pounds, and I was just getting destroyed. I mean, destroyed. So I didn't play four years of college. I only played one, and that, was be- that wasn't because I didn't want to specialize. It's because I wanted to survive to eventually be eligible for the draft and, you know, not being a pine box of just getting destroyed. I think one time I tackled a running back that was 250, and again, I'm 165, 170, and I hit him at the 10. I woke up looking out the ear hole on the goal line, and I think that was the last play I ever played at college football. For that reason, yeah, it was it was it was ugly. So I know the feeling, man. I yeah. Know, I, when I was a, when I was a sophomore in high school, we were scrimmaging uh, Castro Valley. I, I was living in California, and I was playing cornerback. And I I know this is probably not what happened, but. There was a sweep, and this big running back who was probably six foot, one hundred eighty pounds for Castro Valley came around the side, and it felt like him and I were the only two guys on the football field, and everybody else went the other direction. And so I ran up and put my face mask right between his numbers, and the first thing that hit the ground was the back of my head, and he mm. tripped over me, and I went to the sideline. I got this warm feeling up the back of my neck. Ooh. And coach goes, get back out there. And I'm just like, oh, I don't want to get back out there. <laughs> but I got, to, you know, I got most improved football player at the banquet, and all. And he talked about that one play that I made where I just got destroyed, and all my teammates were laughing at me. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Uh, we're talking with Jeff Fry, uh, former. Boston Red Sox, Texas Ranger, Colorado Rocky, Toronto Blue Jay hit for the cycle once with the Blue Jays. That's that's so impressive. I love that. But uh, hit 304 times in his big league career. Was hurt two of those 10 years, but uh, 93 and 98. But to be able to battle back from that is is truly incredible. There's resolve and work ethic and strength and guts and all different kinds of stuff wrapped up in the ability to be able to do that. Not just to come back from it, to be able to compete, but to be able to compete at a high level. The first time he got injured. Uh, with with that injury was in 93 and he came back 94 started in triple a finished in the big leagues and ended up hitting 327 in the big leagues almost made the all-star team had it not been for the lack of plate appearances uh, to be able to qualify so um, very easily could have been an all-star as well so you get to, you get to college and now you're playing baseball at southeast oklahoma state and uh so what was the goal 
the big leagues, I mean, you, you were originally going to go, like you said, as a scholarship basketball player, ended up playing baseball. So was, was the goal when you went into college, I want to be a big leaguer, or did that just develop? Yeah, that was always my dream as a, as a kid, but I never even thought I would have a chance. And that is a 100% truth. I uh, you know, basically just, uh, I didn't love school, so going to school, going to college, getting free education and play baseball was my ticket. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't have a plan B. And I was just enjoying enjoying my, my college experience and playing baseball and doing well at it. I never even considered um, that I was good enough to get drafted. Well, it ended up working out that way. So when, was, was it your senior year or your junior year that you got drafted? It was after my senior year. Okay. This is a crazy story, Les. After my senior year, I um, I thought I was done. I mean, I just made a, I was first team All American, set the school record in hitting at four fifty four fifty five. That is still the school record today, uh, thirty six years later. And I thought I was done. And my teammate was a two time All American. He was a junior, and we knew he was getting drafted. There are teams there to see him. The Cincinnati Reds, we were pretty sure, was going to draft him. And he got invited to a Texas Rangers trial camp and decided he didn't want to go. And I asked him if I could have his invitation. I went in his place and had the day of my life. And that's why I got drafted. Wow. That's that's crazy how stuff, how stuff works out, man. Unbelievable. So when you got drafted, so you, you, you get drafted by Texas, 30th round. Was there, I mean, you were an All-American, so obviously you could flat play the game. But when you got to A-ball, was was it different? Was it elevated? Or at what level did you notice, okay, this professional thing, it's a little bit different here? Uh, my first short season, I yeah. could tell. Yeah. These guys were, I mean, these guys were good. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't know if I'm, a, if I'm, as good, if I'm good enough for this. Yeah. And, and I struggled the first short season, 60 games, you know. And I had a, in 60 games, I had an 0 for 37. Woo! At one point, and with less than 200 at bats on the season, still hit 286. But wow! Beginning of the year, the year, the, uh, the seventh round draft pick, second baseman, left-handed hitter, could really hit. He was a starter, and I was just kind of playing sporadically. And mm-hmm. you know, when you're over 37, they're not wanting to pencil you in the lineup. At 30th you know, round, you're lucky to still have a job at that time. Yeah, you know, my my. I think I, they kept me around because of my big bonus. They had to pay me two grand. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I signed for. Yes. Yeah, but by the end of the season, um, I figured some stuff out and finally learned how to hit with a wood bat. Yeah. I probably broke 30 bats in 60 games and finally figured that out and was really, really became a pretty good defensive second baseman. And by the playoff time, I was a starting second baseman. Mm. I love it. It's a very, very similar story there. Okay, so um, A ball, you're going through there. Um, was there a more difficult jump? Double A, triple A? Because I just remember A ball was okay. I was learning, and I had gotten injured and needed to have surgery. So at that time, I was just happy to have a jersey. So I didn't worry about it. I just worked hard. And if I got released, I got released. If I played, I played. But when I got promoted from a, high A, or I'm sorry, low A, skipped high A to go to double A the next season, um, I noticed when I got to double A, even like, oh my gosh, I, I got like, I went four for five my first game in double A, and then kind of went like a two for 
25 or something like that. And it, it, it was a struggle for me. So was the next step difficult for you? Yeah, uh, I did really well at A-ball. Low A, the same second baseman, the seventh rounder, was the starting second baseman uh, to start the season. And the first game of the season, he broke his finger, and I stepped in and won the batting title. Wally Next Pip. year. They Wally were, Pip right there. They they rewarded me with uh, sending me to high A, not double A, the next year. Yeah. And uh, I did okay in, in high A. It was, you know, I played in the Florida State League, and there was a, at those that time, it was a tough hitting league, man. The park, there were big league ballparks. Yeah. And it, it was tough. The that humidity, was man. getting better. Yeah, it, it was tough. And then I did all right. That was the only level I didn't make the all-star team. Mm-hmm. And then I go to double A. And probably after a month and a half, two months, I'm hitting 230, thinking this is probably it. You know, those, yeah. the balls that were falling in in the A ball weren't falling in anymore. Yeah. And, the, you know, I just wasn't, I still hit the ball, made a lot of consistent contact, but just, I, I wasn't very big. I probably played 155, 160 pounds, and I couldn't drive the ball through the infield. I couldn't drive the ball through the gaps. And, Crazy story, I was playing wiffle ball in Wichita, Kansas with my roommate, Rick Rona. We were at the hotel. Ricky Rowe, <laughs> former yeah. teammate, yeah. I love Ricky Rowe. We're yeah. still friends to this day. And, uh, yeah, so we're playing wiffle ball, and I'm imitating Ruben Sierra and Juan Gonzalez, the, you know, being with being a Texas Ranger farmhand. Yeah. Those were the stars of the Rangers, and they all had these big leg kicks. And So I was doing that, playing wiffle ball. And Rona goes, why don't you freaking hit like that in the game? And I said, all right. So the next day I went to the field, completely changed my stance from just the normal kind of stride toward the pitcher, kind of crouched over to straight up like Steve Garvey yeah, with a leg kick. Minus the and Garvey that, forearms. Yeah. And the first game I went one for four, but I hit a home run foul. And I was like, man, I wasn't even getting close to hitting the ball that far. Mm-hmm. And I went from that point of the season in Double A, hitting two thirty or around that, to leading our team in ten offensive categories, All Star, MVP of the All Star game, and hit three hundred and just Ricky Rowe, the hitting coach, the hitting off. guru. I'm telling you, unbelievable, I mean, man. I was desperate. Yeah, I had to do something. Right, and and part of that too is that. I mean, that's not for everybody, but part of it, too, is having the courage to do that because a lot of people that may not, that may, they may be a little more passive in how they do it or there's a fear or something, you know, when you're a professional and, and you're struggling, sure, there's hitting coaches and other people there, but you got to be responsible for your own thing and to be able to take a chance on something that feels good and that you, you have confidence in, you, bottom line is you got to have confidence in yourself. You got to be able to get out there and do that. So to be able to make that adjustment and then succeed is a is a pretty good mindset. And I never asked the coaches. I didn't. I just showed up without batting practice because it was a rainy day, no hitting, and I went right into the game with a new stance. And the manager and the coaches, nobody ever said anything. Hmm. That's amazing. I love it. And so then, not too uh, not too long after that, um, you know, tell me tell me about your big league debut, the call up and the big league debut. Yeah, the uh, well, I was in Louisville, Kentucky. We were on the road. I was in AAA for the Rangers and doing really well, hitting 300. Just made the all AAA All Star team. Me and Brett Boone and um, was sitting in my hotel room, and you know we didn't have cell phones in those days, and so we would either take the phone off the hook or get a do not disturb, and mm-hmm. we didn't do it that 
And we also, I also had a roommate. My roommate was Bobby Brower. And uh, the phone rings at 9 in the morning, which is unusual. Right. And I pick it up. It's by my, it's closest to my bed, so I pick it up. And it's my manager, Tommy Thompson. And he was a quirky guy. We loved him. And he, he just said, you're not going to the AAA All-Star game. I was like, I'm not? He goes, no, you're going to another level, big boy. <laughs> and I, I was just listening. And, and I, looking across the room at Bobby Brower, he's kind of leaned up in his bed looking at me. And, and I was just like, okay, I'll be up there in a minute. And he goes, you're going to big leagues. He goes, and you're not coming back either. Mm. So I go up to his room. He gives me the itinerary. I got to go to the field. You know, field, this is the minor league field, so they're not open at 9 o'clock yeah. in the morning. We right. got to call the clubby and get him to go there. Me and Brian Bohannon both got called up same time. So we go to the stadium, get all our stuff, airport, fly to DFW, get there at 5 p.m., there's a guy there waiting for us, drives us to the field. And on the way there, he says, uh, Bobby Valentine just got fired. His last <laughs> official act as manager was to call you guys up. Wow. And we're like, man, I hope he didn't get fired because he called us up. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, get to the stadium. And, yeah, I'd been to big league spring training um, that year, and so I knew some of the guys. And I walk in there, and they're like, if you hurry up, you can get out for BP. And BP's over at 6, and it's 5.30, and I have – you know, all my stuff not unpacked or anything. I was like, I got no shot. Yeah. I, I try to make it out for infield. And they said, go check out the lineup. I walk over the lineup, and I, it's on this little board over there, and I look at it. Number 51, which is my number in spring training, mm-hmm. Jeff Fry's leading off, playing second. Leading day. off the day you get called up. That's crazy. Yes. And the bottom of the lineup, number 34, Nolan Ryan's pitching for the ah. <laughs> And you had, a good, you had a good game, though, didn't you? Yeah, man. I... I my first at bat, I walked in four pitches, and I'm so thankful because I'm not sure I could have swung. Right, I was shaking so bad. Um, but I ended up going two for three, three runs scored. My first hit was a triple. Nice back fly. Now wait a minute, hold on, hold on, hold on. back up. Remember, you told me like in high school you weren't very fast. Now you're a big league leadoff hitter. Wait, why, how did that happen? Yeah, I got faster, but I, I was never like a burner. Yeah, I ran a. The only time I ever remember being time where the, I knew the time um, was we were in Arkansas when I was at Southeastern, and the Cincinnati Red Scout was there to see Benny Culver. Benny was, yeah, you know, five five tool guy. He could he could fly. He still like forty bases in college and hit twenty homers and do it all. And so yeah, Benny, I, Benny I played one year with Benny. Benny hit some bombs too. Yeah, Benny. I mean, he, he was an athlete. And, yep. Um, so Benny's getting ready to run the 60 on the turf at Arkansas, and Coach Matheny goes, Fry, go out there and run with Benny. I'm like, really? I'm like, all right. So I go and then line up with Benny, you know, and nobody thinks I can, I'm going to have a chance against Benny, and I beat Benny. Mm. And everybody's like, man, we didn't know you could run that fast. I was like running for my life. Right, and, right. And I, and I ran a 6-6 a six, six, like, is what I was told the scout said, but that still wasn't enough for him to try and draft me. Yeah. Crazy, crazy. Well, uh, I love the story, and uh, that that two-hit day, the the triple, the walk, three-run scored against Nolan Ryan, his big league day, turned out to be a pretty good 10-year career. Um, again, uh, Jeff Fry is our guest, former Texas Ranger, Boston Red Sox, Colorado Rockies, Toronto Blue Jays, hit 304 different seasons, career 290 average. I remember playing against him, um, you know, 
We shared the field, but usually when I say shared the field, we shared it for batting practice and infield because when you played, I was usually sitting in the dugout. I just got to hang out at Fenway, which is really cool. But, uh, yeah, when Johnny when Johnny Damon needed an off day, which was rare, or there was a really tough sidearm lefty, then I got to play. So you rarely got to see my number. But, hey, I got to see in the dugout, man. That was fun. We got to share it once. But uh, Jeff Fry is our guest. When we come back, we're going to hit a different topic, a couple more different things. Um, but uh, great to have him here uh, today. A lot of stuff going on in Major League Baseball. Uh, nowadays, at the, the, the time of this recording, Bobby Witt Jr. signing uh, an 11-year, I think it's $289 million deal if it goes 14 if it reaches fruition it's going to be over 377 almost 378 million the royals have locked him down and what an offseason they have done in signing some players uh gosh garrett hampson uh, will smith seth lugo michael waka uh uh so yeah a lot of a lot of other guys uh, coming in um uh, it's amazing stuff and uh, it's an exciting time so we're going to ask him about that and more so make sure you stay right there First Federal Bank of Kansas City knows that you're spending time today thinking about tomorrow. Maybe it's an expanded home, buying, building, improving a home. That all takes know-how, and my friends at First Federal Bank of Kansas City can help. It's what they do best. So just visit them at ffbkc.com or call 816-241-7800. You can check them out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the social media. First Federal Bank of Kansas City, better together. Remember, FDIC, equal housing lender. We'll be right back. Welcome back into Breaking the Norm with Wes Norman. Glad you're with us today. Breaking the Norm is presented by Community Financial Services Group. And if you're like me, every year brings a lot of complexities and taxes and financial landscape and politics and investments, insurance and estate planning. It's it's wild. But with more than 30 years of investment industry experience, Community Financial Services Group can help. So call 816-322-2760 for a comprehensive review. Community Financial Services Group is teamwork that you can bank on also presented by perfect game midwest it is now february when we're recording this today it's 60 degrees in february and tomorrow 60 degrees and thursday 67 and friday 60 before super bowl weekend hits and it's back to kind of normal in the 40s but even so it's incredible what that means is is that if you've got a high school baseball or softball player and they're on a team and they're competitive and the guys play with wood bats and the girls are playing their normal stuff but it's it's college scouts and pro scouts out there visit perfect game midwest perfectgamemidwest.org or call 913-543-6116 they've got the elite tournaments all around the midwest here where your player can be seen um 85 of all mlb draft picks have participated in a perfect game event and over a quarter of a million college baseball commits over 1500 mlb players uh they've been out there doing it so uh, my thanks to perfect game midwest jeff fry is our guest uh 10 years in the big leagues two of them were uh, injured he, he had an injury a battle back from both a career 290 hitter man that's that's money he hit 304 times so half of his big league career he had a 300 average i love the stat only 279 strikeouts in 2451 plate appearances and most of that is a leadoff hitter man dude could play the game played against him at least i didn't play against him i got to watch him at play while I played catch with the right fielder usually during the game or actually in Boston it was the other way around I played catch with the left fielder well uh, these guys got to play but uh, he was a gamer man he could flat play great to see um, and and if you want to know more about his career and stats some great stories back in our first segment so uh, kind of do do the rewind go back uh, check out that that uh, section of the interview but I want to talk now a little bit um, and and here's the deal we're not there's a guy out there that uh teaches a certain style of hitting if you call it 
And um, Jeff Fry on on social media on Twitter has has called some guys out, and and I'm with him on that. You know, I'm not Mister Controversy or anything like that. But there there have been people over the years that will teach a certain method, or they get one player attached to their name, and and if if a player has success, all of a sudden that's the way to go. And and this guy has said no one's been teaching it, teaching the swing correctly, even in the MLB. Um. He says that uh, it, it's uh, well. Let's just say he he doesn't listen. He's a talker. He said you'll be your very best if you use the swing I teach, and it's very clear that there's one swing pattern above all the others. Now, over the years, if you've known me, we've been on 14 years here on Breaking the Norm. I used to teach hitting, um, even though I didn't have a long big league career. I mean, I own a uh, an Olympic gold medal, and I had a great minor league seasons. I just got to the big leagues and got hurt. And so my couple of years in, I just was a backup that got hurt, and I had the job handed to me one day, and I got hurt in the first inning of that day. And so sometimes it doesn't work out the way you plan. But one of my one of my things about hitting has always been every kid is different. Every kid has some strengths. If a kid is a leadoff type hitter or number nine hole hitter, I'm not going to try to teach him to hit home runs. If a guy is a home run hitter, we're going to use what he does well because everybody's made different, built different, different strengths, different quicknesses, different balance, different stride, different hand position, all different kinds of things, and, and kids need to be having fun. And, and, and a good instructor has to be able to use, in my opinion, what the student does best, and every kid has a different mental capacity and encouragement level on how you speak to them. And, and Jeff had called this person out. And this guy says that it, you have to duplicate swings, duplicate this hitter, this one hitter, duplicate this one style. And it's really been frustrating to watch. And so, um, Jeff, man, uh, I got to tell you, again, we're not going to mention this guy's name. I'm not going to give him the credibility of, of all that. And here's what I'll say before I bring you back in, Jeff. I'm not against anybody earning a living no matter how they can do it as long as it's on the up and up and they're not stealing something or or you know they're not doing something illegal and they're not putting other people down but this is a guy that is defensive and arrogant and and rude in my opinion and and he calls people names he's called you the nickname judy like a punch and judy hitter last time i checked in an eight big league seasons you hit 300 four times you hit 290 for a career in the big leagues as an everyday player I wouldn't exactly call you a Judy hitter, and I wouldn't exactly ever say anything negative about somebody like you. I wouldn't say something negative even if it wasn't, so I don't get that. But I have to say you've held your course well, my man, over the years in in this whole situation. So here's the question. I mean, you know, tell me a little bit about your interaction with this guy. And, you know, we don't have to go in super deep on what the guy teaches, but he's saying that if you don't teach anybody in the world, including MLB hitting instructors – and you and I both uh, were under Rudy Yadamio for uh, – I was there for a season, but, but I got to be one of the greatest hitting instructors I've ever seen. But he says that people in the MLB are wrong unless they're teaching his way. And so uh, I know there's been a sense of frustration here. So just tell me a little bit about your interaction with this guy and what you think. Yeah, it's been a very interesting three or four years dealing with this guy. Uh, he, uh, it all started when I'm on a group – a group text with three buddies of mine who two are currently Major League Baseball scouts and one used to be. And so we send each other funny stuff and I started seeing some silly drills on, on social media and so I sent it to them and they were laughing. So I had my son 
filming in the backyard imitating one of these drills. And it's like a 12-second video. And at the end of this video, I said, oh, the light bulb went on. You know, just kind of joking. And I posted it. And my, one of the scouts that I'm friends with says, man, your video's got 4,000 views. I was like, really? Cool. What does that mean? I had no clue. <laughs> and, and so I get ready to go to bed. And this is Twitter. I'm new to Twitter. I really wanted to promote. I really wanted to go out and tell my story. And because every time I tell it, people tell me I should tell it more. So I'm like, I yeah. have to let people know I want to do that. So I have to develop more presence on social media. So I started with Twitter. And so I'm getting ready to go to bed. I look at my Twitter, direct messages, and I have all these messages. And I'm like, what is this? And it's like people calling me names and stuff I can't repeat over the airwaves. Right. Appreciate that. Name <laughs> um, calling my son's names. Wow. Um, trolled my Facebook and said stuff about my ex-wife and just horrible stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. I had no idea this was like this. Well, I did a little research and found out that most of the people that were coming after me were uh, friends with this person we're talking about. Yeah. It's basically what they do is when people question their methods, they attack them and they pummel them into submission where the people don't want to mess with it and they go away. Yeah. Well, they don't know me very well, and all they did was inspire me to make another video. The next video went viral, um, which I didn't even know what that meant, to be honest with you. Sure. But uh, at the end of the video, I hit the ball, and I said, she gone, like that, as a joke. Yeah. And now people are going, you should hashtag she gone. I was like, okay, cool, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I had no clue what I was doing. I mean, you know, I'm you know, 57 now, but so I was like 53 when I started doing this, and yeah. I don't know, but hashtag and crap yeah and so uh yeah so i just started making more and more videos and then these guys say hey we want to do a you know a showdown with me and this guy and i'm like sure no problem because i saw the way they were acting him and his followers or his minions i call them that they're just basically attacking they're very rude and um, disrespectful to everyone and they talk down to you know big leaguers and minor leaguers and, you know, scouts and everybody. It's just like, these guys have no respect for anybody. Yeah. And so that's kind of how the, the feud started and it's just carried on. And it's, uh, and I'm with you on the, uh, I don't believe there's one way to hit. And people say that I do. And I, I yeah, I, I know that kids. you don't. I know that you don't. When I teach kids to hit, you know, I don't teach them to hit a certain way. First, I watch them. Yeah, I right. tell them what I did and what worked for me, and maybe they want to try an experiment, and maybe that'll work for them. But if it doesn't work, that's fine. You got to find what works for you, and just be the best version of you. Yeah. And not everybody can hit homers. I couldn't have hit homers. I wasn't strong enough to hit yeah. home runs. And you know, my first year in A ball, they yelled at me when I hit the ball in the air. Right. Well, Willie so Mays I Hayes wasn't action. Supposed to do that, and that, and you know, back in those days, you had to. I mean, you had to do what those guys told you. You yeah, didn't have private yeah. coaches you could go to. Right. If Rudy Hadamio told me to hit the ball on the ground. I knew if I didn't, Rudy Hadamio and his light blue scary eyes was going to be pissed at me, and I right. didn't want that. That's right. So I was going to do whatever they told me to do, get on base, be a table setter, perfect the, the skills that I need to be you know, a productive baseball player, bunting, hit and run, moving runners over, getting, you know, try to hit the ball in the air when I have a runner on third and the infield in. Yeah. Those are the things I worked at. And now we see a lot on social media is that people are teaching 
their style to everyone. You know, yeah, you can't reinvent the wheel. No, and it's not, you know, not, you know, and, and this guy's not the only one. There's a lot of other ones out there that teach just one certain style to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, it's, it's doing harm to kids development and and here's the deal i'm a realist so if you're out there and you hear the show and you're going to send me a bunch of emails and you're going to start ripping me apart and all that okay fine i'll just delete them i won't even acknowledge it that's fine whatever you want to do it's you do your thing i don't even mind the debate side of things okay if you feel like you're passionate about something i will listen to it even if i don't agree with it i'm going to give you enough respect but when you start like insulting people and cussing at them i mean this guy was calling you judy and uh, a dumb jock, and on the video that I watched, he, like, brought up, like, a clown face for some, like, online art that I don't even know how to do because I'm a tech geek I don't, or non-geek. I don't know how to do that stuff. And by geek, if you're a tech geek, that's a compliment. It's not an insult. <laughs> so so back off on that, you technical wizards. I, I know you're great, you're awesome, and I'm envious. But uh, it's just the idea of when, when disrespect starts to come in, you know, and I know that you've talked about it and all that, but one of the, I've never heard you call the guy a name or anything. I mean, sure, there's sarcasm on both sides and all those things, but when, when you when you start, you know, really attacking someone's character for no reason just to prove a point, that's when you lose credibility for me. So I'm not even talking about the hitting side of things. If people like you and they're going to pay you to go do it, okay, fine. That, that's your opinion. That's your job. You go do your thing. It's just the lack of respect and common courtesy for a human being, let alone a big leaguer that hit 304 times. So that's what frustrated me. But, uh, Jeff Fry, you did not need me. You're older than me, so I might be taller, but you're older. So you'd, <laughs> you'd be the big brother. You don't need me to stick up for you. But um, thanks for at least maintaining your respect through all that. And, and, and I know it is frustrating. But just uh, before we go to our final break, if you've got somebody out there, what, what do you feel like is the best way? I mean, you, you started to mention it a little bit, but what's the best way to teach a kid how to hit? And, you know, I, it's just different for everybody. Yes. It's, uh, you know, I really think that playing wiffle ball as a kid taught me how to hit. Yeah. It really helped me develop my hand-eye coordination because yep. if you can hit that, that white wiffle ball, the way it moves, never the same. Uh, with that little tiny skinny yellow wiffle ball bat, mm-hmm. I mean, you can hit. And, and uh, you know, as a kid, I was used to the little, you know, twelve-inch mini bats that you get at the at the Major League Baseball stadium. I used those to put, to play Nerf ball, and yeah. I just whatever we could, whatever kind of ball we had, whatever kind of bat, that's what we practiced at. And it was just developing hand-eye coordination, trying to figure out our balance. And we, I mean, we also experimented with imitating, you know, if I was the Giants, I was going to imitate all the players on the Giants whenever they came up. And my yeah. cousin was the Dodgers, so he would imitate those guys. And so right or left-handed, we just play both ways, and we just developed good hand-eye coordination. And I really believe that was probably the most beneficial thing in my childhood. That's awesome, man. Well, I appreciate you saying that. I agree. Every kid's different. They're mental, physical, psychological way that they they learn and and process. And and you have to watch them hit and you have to learn not just what you see, but but how they interact with you as well. And so um, 
Yeah, I appreciate that approach, man. And again, one more time, I'm not against anybody out there trying to earn a living and teach what they know, and that's great. And, you know, parents are they're, they're big boys and girls. So they can spend their money wherever they want. It's just that when you start, when, when people start getting amazingly disrespectful and calling names and cursing, and that uh, there's no reason for that. Be confident in who you are and confident in what you do that you don't have to go that route. But again, you're also big big boys and girls. You can say and do what you want. It's the country we live in. So we're going to have one more segment here and find out a little bit about what Jeff Fry is doing nowadays. Former MLB second baseman, also played some third, played some outfield. He was with Boston, Texas, Colorado, and Toronto. Uh, my man was a 30th-round pick, and uh, I was a 26th-round pick, and we both signed for two grand. He played a little longer than I did, but it's nice to have the late-round guys carve it out and have some success in the big leagues i love that so uh stay right there for one more segment with our guest jeff fry you're on breaking the norm with les norman welcome back into breaking the norm with les norman our guest today is former big leaguer jeff fry a 30th round pick in 1988 ended up playing eight of his 10 years two years he was hurt but eight of his 10 years in the big leagues with uh the the rangers red Sox, the rockies and uh, the blue jays hit 304 times career average of 290 and, uh, man, I remember playing against this dude or even just watching him because even as a player, you go to the hotel, there's still games on all the time. And uh, whether I was in the big leagues or the minor leagues, he was a fun guy to watch, man, um, a scrappy leadoff hitter type guy that could play some defense, but he could also hit hit 304 times. You know how hard that is? And, you know, if you, if you hit 290 one season, oh, okay, he had a good year. Uh, Jeff hit 290 over eight seasons. And, and it could have been 10, but he was hurt and didn't play in those years in 93 and 98. So, Jeff, I appreciate you being here today, man. I appreciate you just the, the way you played the game, that grit, that hard-nosed style, man. I love that, um, especially the grit of battling back from ACL injuries, not once but twice, and to be able to have success after that is incredible. So tell us uh, what, what's it like in the, in the life of Jeff Fry nowadays. Well, I'm, I recently moved to Maryland um, about two months ago, and uh, – it's different. I've lived in Texas yeah. ever since I got called up to the big leagues in 92, and uh, my uh, sweetheart got a job in D.C. She got called up to the big leagues, I'd like to say, by the Department of Commerce on a really, um, really cool project, and so I came up here to support her. Probably not, hopefully not going to live here forever. I, I have found out that... Uh, there's not much southern hospitality up here in the northeast, so uh, I'm looking to get back to you know people who like to to smile and say hello and have a good day. But uh, that's it. I, I'm doing some keynote speaking. I uh, it's really what my passion is now. Keynote speaking. I do some camps and clinics all over the country. I've been to Canada. I've probably been to twelve, fifteen different states doing camps and clinics and speaking engagements and. Just kind of enjoying my time and uh, play a little golf every now and then and just uh, enjoying retirement. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. I've, I've been speaking for 20, 25 years, and it is, it's so much reward in that of being able to just present some passion to people that, that want to listen. And uh, it's one of the f- most fun things I do. I mean, I do radio, TV, uh, podcasting, a lot of other stuff, but speaking is one of my all-time favorites. I love that. So, well, um, what do you think the future holds for you? More of the same, or you got any aspirations of anything else? No, that's it, really. I, uh, you know, people I, actually somebody asked me like yesterday on social media, why didn't I get into uh, coaching, or why am I not working for a major league baseball organization? And you know, when I retired, 
after playing for 15 years and missing a lot of my kids growing up, I didn't want to miss that anymore. And I knew that I would probably have to start an A-ball as a coach. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to ride buses, you know, and be away from my family. So I became a sports agent, and I did that for 21 years, representing players. And so I stopped that last year at 56 years old, and that's kind of late to be getting into to coaching, yeah. you know, as a full-time job at the professional level. So, you know, I've considered, I've had opportunities to coach in college and things like that, but I really enjoy uh, the, the keynote speaking and doing camps and clinics. Uh, I get, I've met so many wonderful people and just developing new friendships. And, you know, the funny thing about the speaking thing, Les, is that when I was in college, I had a speech class, and I was so nervous. <laughs> give a five-minute speech in college. Yeah. I couldn't sleep the night before. Right. And now I'll go speak. You know, I got to speak a few months ago inside the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. That's amazing. To an accounting firm from Boston. So cool. And you know, I've spoken college uh, college banquets. I spoke at the Texas High School Baseball Coaches Association. So uh, I'm really enjoying that. I really um, want to help to try to continue to grow this game and educate parents to a lot of the stuff that's out there that I believe is hurting their kids, and yeah. I'm just going to keep plugging away. That's awesome. Well, Jeff, it has been great to have you on. I'm going to have you hang there and give you the proper goodbye, but I appreciate you being here. It was fun to play against you. Uh, it was fun to watch, and uh, yeah, it was really cool. And hey, from a 26th rounder to a 30th rounder, there's hope for the for the little guys and the other guys that aren't the first rounders. And uh, yeah, so if you're out there and that's you, uh, play for the fun of it, work hard, don't give up hope. Thanks for joining us today. He's Jeff Fry. I'm Les Norman. We'll see you next time.